Right, Autumn, you, you led into that perfectly because, because the 21st century, right, we have this, there's a new societal role in the 21st century. It's called influencer, influencer, right? So in, in, according to the Influencer Hub website, an influencer has, quote, the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with his or her audience, and these are influencers. And, and social media has made it so easy, easier than ever, to create uh, a following and to market products. Right? We all know this. There, there's categories of influencers. And it's generally based on their size. You have mega, macro, micro, and nano. A, a mega influencer is someone who has more than a million followers and is highly sought after to endorse products and, and endorse movements. You know, generally these mega influencers are uh, famous people, celebrities, and, and they're getting paid to do what they're doing, and, and the sellers are making money, and, and that's all that really matters. And there's, there's little connection over time between the message and the messenger. You know, they do talk about the importance of being relational as an influencer in order to sell stuff, but, but the message and the messenger itself uh, are not usually connected. Now, these influencers, they will come and go. You guys, as 21st century uh, teenagers, will, will probably see it more than anybody. They're going to come and go. But what is their message? Right? What are they trying to sell us? And where are they trying to direct our minds and our hearts? Where will it ultimately bring us? Right? This has not changed since the Garden of Eden, right? And it's never going to change. So this is why it's so important to focus first on the message and make sure we're clear what the influencer is saying. Because there are eternal consequences that come along with influence and the message. Now when it comes to the Bible, there's something incredible about John 3.16. And what's incredible about it is that both the message and the messenger are perfect. John 3.16 is an excellent and a concise way of pointing people to the truth of Scripture and the power of the gospel. But just like every other verse and passage of the Bible, it must be examined and exegeted to be sure we're looking at it in the proper context and in light of all the other portions of Scripture. So tonight we're going to take a look at another lie our culture tries to sell us. You're perfect just the way you are, right? And, and the reason we'll be doing a little bit of exegeting of John 3.16 is because the Christian version of you're perfect just the way you are is God loves you just the way you are. And John 3.16 is often the text to which people refer in order to defend their position. Now, John 3.16 is an incredibly valuable passage, probably the most famous passage most famous verse of the Bible. When I told my daughters last night that we were doing John 3.16, my, my 10-year-old daughter recites it by heart, says, I'll never forget it. I know that one. But because it's so popular and, and because it's so valuable, we have to be prepared to understand it and, and how it can be misapplied depending on who is the messenger. Who's, who's, who's telling us this, not, not the messenger of Jesus, but, but, but who's telling us about John 3.16 and what it means. And, and it also, we have to be ready to know what it means compared to the contradictory message we're going to be getting from the world. 
So in keeping with our defending and contending theme for this whole series, tonight we're going to take a look at number one, how we must defend the faith from self-perfection, and number two, how we must contend for the faith through repentance and sanctification. All right, so number one, we must defend the faith from self-perfection, and number two, we must contend for the faith through repentance and sanctification. All right, so let's take a look at our first point. We must defend the faith from self-perfection. Now, this is the message from the world, right? You're perfect just the way you are. In 2010, Lady Gaga wrote and released a song entitled, Born This Way. And, and she explained that she wanted this to be the most representative statement of who she is and what she wants to promote to the world. She said she wrote it in 10 minutes while on tour and compared it to the Immaculate Conception. Now, you're, most of you probably are not familiar with the Immaculate Conception, so I'm going to give you just a, a quick, it, it, because it matters in this context, I want you to hear this. But it is the Roman Catholic doctrine that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was without sin. That she was without sin. And, and the Catholic defense of this argument is that she would have to be without sin in order for Jesus to be born without sin. Now, of course, the, the debate I always get into with the Catholics is then if that's true, then wouldn't Mary's mother also have to be without sin so that she could be born without sin so that the child could be born without sin? Well, and if that's true, then wouldn't grand, uh, Mary's great-grandmother have to be without sin for the grandmother to be without sin? And, and you know, you see what I'm saying. Also, nowhere in the Bible does it insinuate that Mary was without sin. Nevertheless, this is a widely held Catholic belief, and it's called the Immaculate Conception. Now, I'm detailing it here because Lady Gaga is way too smart to be making a reference off the cuff. I actually have a lot of respect for Lady Gaga, even though I disagree with almost everything she says, because she, she tends to want to bring substance. And I can appreciate that, even though the substance is bad. But, but she is brilliant and calculated. Her statement is that this is a perfect song coming from a perfect person. That's at the core of the Immaculate Conception. And this is what Lady Gaga had to say about this song. It does have a swear word in it. I'm only going to use an initial. I'm giving you a heads up just so if you're feeling delicate, plug your ears for a second. Okay, this is what Lady Gaga said about this song. I wanted to write my This Is Who The F.I.M. anthem but I don't want it to be hidden in poetic wizardry and metaphors. I want it to be an attack, an assault on the issue, because I think, especially in today's music, everything gets kind of wishy-washy sometimes, and the message gets hidden in the lyrical play. Hearkening back to the early 90s when Madonna and Vogue, Whitney Houston, and TLC were making very empowering music for women and the gay community and all kinds of disenfranchised communities, the lyrics and the melodies were very poignant and very gospel and very spiritual. And I said, that's the kind of record I need to make. That's the record that's going to shake up the industry. It's not about the track. It's about the production. It's about the song. Anyone could sing Born This Way. It could have been anyone. Now, I don't want you to miss something specific she says in this explanation of the song. Quote, the lyrics and the melodies were very poignant and very gospel and very spiritual. Now, she uses the word gospel here. Now, remember what the word gospel means, good news. Right? So, essentially, this song will be good news to all who hear it, sing it, and believe it. 
In fact, anyone could have written it because we are all perfect in the way that she has described it. The immaculate conception could have come from any of us. So she is saying that this message is more important than the messenger, which is her. Now, in case we're, we're, we're not sure exactly what she was trying to say, she, has, she had another song kind of as a follow-up or, or came after, and this song was called Born This Way, if you want to uh, get a little more clarity into where she was going with this whole thing. So these are the lyrics from Born This Way, some of them. Don't be a drag, just be a queen, whether you're broke or evergreen. You're black, white, beige, cola descent, you're Lebanese, you're Orient. Whether life's disabilities left you outcast, bullied, or teased, rejoice and love yourself today, because baby, you were born this way. No matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgendered life, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to survive. No matter black, white, or beige, cola, or Orient made, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to be brave. I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. Oh, there ain't no other way. Baby, I was born this way. Now, we might actually do another lesson at some point that focuses on this topic of being born this way. But, but this is the essence uh, that however you're born is good, perfect, because God doesn't make any mistakes. In fact, she says there ain't no other way than, other than to accept that you're born this way and you're perfect. Now, now, to be fair to Lady Gaga, I'm not, I'm not able to follow up on what she means by some of these statements, but, but we can make certain assumptions about what she means, and, and I feel like we can be accurate. And in case there's any doubt, she did have another song, a follow-up, called Less Than Perfect, and this clarifies some of her positions. Just, just listen to a few of these lyrics. I'm almost done with Lady Gaga here. She said, you're so mean when you talk about yourself. You were wrong. Change the voices in your head. Make them like you instead. So complicated. Look happy. You'll make it. Filled with so much hatred. Such a tired game. It's enough. I've done all I can think of. Chased down all my demons. I've seen you do the same. Pretty, pretty, please. Don't you ever feel like you're less. Less than perfect. Pretty, pretty, please. If you ever, ever feel like you're nothing, you're perfect to me. Now, if we put these songs side by side, I think we can say with accuracy and confidence that Lady Gaga is saying the way you were born is perfect, so don't let anyone tell you you're not. This is self-perfection. You can determine yourself what it means to be perfect, and in that perf perfection, just be you. She has gone as far as, as saying that this is the gospel, and there ain't no other way. So here's the immediate problem. How do we know what perfection is? Lady Gaga is saying that we should never let anyone tell us we're less than perfect. But what is the standard by which that is measured? Her standard? Our own standard? And if everyone is born perfect, then why would we need a perfect person? Why would a perfect person be insecure about his or her perfection? Right? Wouldn't perfect people have perfect knowledge about themselves in the world? Wouldn't perfect people handle every situation perfectly? Why would we need some anthem to tell us that this is true? And this is where self-perfection always comes crashing down philosophically. If someone was born without the ability to walk, does that mean she is perfect? If someone is born blind, are they comforted by knowing that they're perfect? What about the person who's prone to anger and throws temper tantrums? Is that perfect? What about the guy tempted by lust who cheats on his wife? Is he perfect? What does that mean? 
Is the racist perfect just the way he is? Is the gossip perfect just the way she is? Is the pedophile perfect just the way he is? Now, without an objective standard, the statement you are perfect just the way you are is pointless and meaningless. Self-perfection, like all the other self-things that we've talked about, self-love, self-sufficiency, it's a recipe for disaster. But our point here is, is to see if this lines up with Scripture. When we're talking about defending the faith against self-perfection, we want to see how it lines up with Scripture. All right, so does the Bible tell us we're born perfect? Well, actually, it is crystal clear that it is the exact opposite. If you want to turn in your Bibles, just take a quick look. It's only one verse, but it's Psalm 51.5. Psalm 51.5. This is David writing, and he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, according to David, he was sinful at conception. And do you know when a baby is conceived? When the sperm and the egg come together. That's conception. So, so what does this mean? You are a sinner from the earliest moment. Even before your mom knows you're living in her belly, you're a sinner. Unfortunately for Lady Gaga, this refutes both the concept of born this way and perfect just the way you are. And what does the Apostle Paul say about the one who's living his life on his own terms? Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. In verse 10, it says none. Right? None is righteous. And do you know what none means? None. Zero. Right? And it's almost as if Paul knows you're going to say, what, no one? Right? Because right? he says, none is righteous. And we answer, no one? And Paul says, no, not one. Then he explains in case we have additional questions. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. Not even one. Not even one. And what about Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many is all? everyone. So if everyone is conceived into sin, and if, and, and if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and if no one seeks after God, and no one is righteous, and no one does good, can Lady Gaga be right? How can we be perfect based on our birth into humanity? How can we celebrate our perfection when it's clear we're not? Only by creating our own self-perfection. Now, the people who bring us these messages about our self-perfection are usually trying to sell us something. But they, they may be genuine in their desire to help those who feel downcast and marginalized and defeated. I appreciate that Lady Gaga doesn't want those who identify as LGBTQ and who are handicapped and who are bullied to feel sad and suicidal. We shouldn't either. But selling them poison is not honorable. A lie is still a lie. And even if you convince yourself that you're perfect, which even the biggest proponent of this message won't do, you've only sunk deeper into an abyss that lasts a lot longer than the pain that he or she is experiencing in the moment. Lady Gaga is literally promoting a false gospel. 
That brings us to our second point. Number two, we must contend for the faith through repentance and sanctification. Now, a more Christianized version of you're perfect just the way you are goes like this. God loves you just the way you are. Okay, and this is often backed up by referring to the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. So, is that what John 3.16 is saying? God loves you just the way you are. Let's take a look. Right, so please turn with me to John 3.16 through 21. John 3.16 through 21. The second point is we must contend for the faith through repentance and sanctification. All right, let's read John 3.16, beginning at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the first thing that we should notice as we examine this passage is that it begins with four. Now, now, some of you who have been here a while, do you, do you remember what we're, the question we're supposed to ask when we see therefore? Anyone? Yeah, Jaden. Correct. You see a therefore, you ask the question, what is it therefore? And we can do the same thing with for. It's just, it, it doesn't sound as cool, right? What is the for for, right? So, so you want to ask that question, what is the for for? Okay, and, and the for for, just like the therefore, means it's something that came before it. Right, So, so the, the, this statement is, is linking somehow to what came before it. So, so w- to understand John 3.16, it's critical to look back at verses 1 through 15. And we're not going to go through all of that because, because we've actually done that, that passage twice in the last couple of years. And it's when, when, Jesus, uh, talks, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. But I do want to take a really quick peek at that because it's critical for understanding John 3.16. So in verses 1 through 12, John 3, 1 through 12, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and and Jesus has revealed the only way someone can see the kingdom of God. He must be born again. Okay, so I want you to catch something here. The kingdom of God is a reference to eternal life, to be with God forever, the kingdom of God. So this is the ultimate answer to the ultimate question, how can I live forever in bliss with the Creator? This is the question, right? We see it in other parts of Scripture. How can I inherit eternal life? This is the question that every single person has to answer. What comes next? What happens after you die? Like, this is the, this is the one thing that the, that the whole world has to address. Because the truth is, how you answer that question oftentimes helps us better understand why you believe what you believe and why you do what you do. Right? So... So Nicodemus, actually Nicodemus didn't even ask that question. He just says, we know that you're sent from God. And, and, and Jesus says, you, you won't be able to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So, so Nicodemus, he gets hung up on how all this happens to be born again. 
and he's confused. And he asks, how can this be possible? How can someone enter their mother's womb a second time? And Nicodemus asks, how can these things be? Jesus is redirecting his attention, though. Nicodemus is concentrating on the message, but Jesus is telling him the messenger is as important as the message. He chastises him for not understanding and tells Nicodemus that if he struggles to believe earthly things, how can Jesus teach him the deeper truths of heaven? Because only the one who has come down from heaven can reveal these deeper truths, and that is Jesus. Then Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, you have to understand what Jesus is doing here. He calls himself the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. This was a prophecy by Daniel, which I think was about 700 years before. Uh, I, I wanted to look that up. I'm sorry. Somewhere around there, Pete, do you know? Daniel 700 years before Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Any other, anybody else out there other than the senior pastor able to answer that question for I wanted to look it up, but it's hundreds of years. I should have just said hundreds of years. Okay. So hundreds of years before Jesus, right, Daniel has this prophecy about the coming Messiah, and this is what he says. This is Daniel talking. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So think about it. This son of man would have dominion and glory over a kingdom that was everlasting and that would not pass away. This means eternal, never ending. So Jesus is saying that he is this son of man from Daniel who has dominion over this kingdom of God and he is explaining to Nicodemus what needs to happen in order to have eternal life in the kingdom of God. So belief in him is the answer to how can I have eternal life? Since only the one from heaven can reveal that to all humanity. Both the message and the messenger are critical. In verse 14, Jesus says that the son of man must be lifted up which is a prophecy about his own crucifixion, and then says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is clarifying to Nicodemus that this second birth is not physical, but spiritual, and that you will know it has happened because he or she will believe in the Son of Man and have eternal life. And now we're at John 3.16. And since it starts with a 4, John's directly referencing back to 15. So imagine that there's no break for a verse number so whoever believes, so, so he finishes up, for whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, so take a look at the contrast presented by Jesus. There's, there's so many contrasts in this, and that's what, I, I wrote them up here, going all the way back to, to, to John uh, uh, 3, 1. But, but the difference between being born and then born again, and we'll get up here in a second, but, but I want you to see these, these contrasts, or, or just think about them a little bit. So, uh, those that believe in him will have eternal life. Those who do not believe in him will perish. Okay, the Greek word for perish means to destroy, or the completion of the process of destruction. 
Now, to be clear, it doesn't mean to die and disappear forever. The completion of destruction is not annihilation of the person. It is eternal judgment. So contrasting it to eternal life, perishing would be eternal death, condemned to hell forever. And who will be the ones who perish? Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, do you see how this fits in with what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus earlier? In verse 12, Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for not believing what he was saying about being born again, but was pointing to, to the fact that to believe what he was saying required Nicodemus to believe in him, the Son of Man sent down from heaven. It was critical to believe in the messenger and the message. Then in verse 15, Jesus says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And now in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. So the difference between eternal life and eternal death, being condemned or not condemned, is belief in the only Son of God. Now something to note here is that in Jewish tradition, the messenger was frequently understood to be like the sender. Someone sent this messenger. So Jesus was understood to be like God and was bringing this message of eternal life through belief in him. Now remember then that, that Jesus sent out his disciples before his ascension to spread this message of believing in him to all the ends of the earth. And although not perfect like Jesus, they were to define righteousness in sin in the same way that he did, which is, which is the same as the Father. Right? So now we are the disciples of the disciples who have been given the scriptures in order to believe in him who was sent, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who was high and lifted up so that we may have eternal life. And now we pass that message on to you so that you can share it with others. And on and on it goes. The final, of our verse, final verses of our passage tonight, though, verses 19 through 21, inform us that this belief in Jesus results in more than just internal trust. It results in external action. Again, John uses a contrast to fill us in. Jesus is the light and the world is dark. And those that are wicked, those that are condemned, those that are perishing do not come to the light they never believe in the Son of God. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that his or her work can be clearly seen and that those are works of God through his messengers. Now, don't miss that. It says here that the, that the, the person who um, follows Christ does what is true. The word does. It indicates that there is action to what we know is true. We are working towards doing what honors God, and God is perfect. He is our standard of perfection. What he says is right is right. What he says is sin is sin. Nothing more, nothing less. So how does this line up with the statement, God loves you just the way you are? Right? You'll, you'll see this on church signs. You know, it's usually how they try to get you into the church. God loves you just the way you are. Come on in. Uh, you'll read it in inspiring blog posts. You'll, you'll, you'll find it in the more Christianized versions of, of the self-esteem movement. You feeling bad today? Just remember God loves you just the way you are. And oftentimes it's linked to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. See? God loves you just because you're a part of the world. 
Well, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. God loves the world. He loves his creation. He, he delights in his own power and glory. Right? There's a broad-based love that applies to all human beings. And John 3.16 is clear that God so loved the world and the people of the world that he didn't want everyone to perish. So he sent Jesus to bring the message of how one can obtain eternal life. Like Nicodemus, if you believe in the messenger, you will believe the message. So does God love you just the way you are? Well, look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now remember the contrast. Condem- not condemned and condemned. Not condemned means eternal life. Condemned means eternal death. And how do you know which one is you? Right? The, the one who believes in the Son of God is not condemned. The one who does not believe is already condemned. Now, do you see that word already? It means now. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Savior, you are now condemned. So if you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, does God love you just the way you are? Yes, he loves his creation, but no, you aren't saved. So should we encourage people to just stay the, the way they are? Not if we want them to inherit eternal life. Now, I don't think this is that hard to understand, because imagine you have a friend, right, a good friend, maybe even a best friend, and, and you and her have been together for a long, long time, from kindergarten until now. You love her, but she starts to stray from the faith and good decision-making. She starts using drugs and, and sleeping around and, and swearing and disrespecting her parents. And is it possible that you still love her but also recognize that she needs to change? Right? Is it possible that, that it's actually because you love her so much that you're pleading with her to make these changes? Of course. This is God in John 3.16. He so loved the world and the people in it, he sent Jesus, his son, to live the perfect life these people can't live, to die for the sins they've committed and will commit, to be resurrected so they too can be resurrected from perishing, and by simply believing in Jesus, inheriting eternal life. But that's not necessarily where everyone is when they hear the message, God loves you just the way you are. God calls us to repentance. Now, do you remember what repentance is? It means turning away from our sins turning away from our old selves. We are headed in this direction. And repentance means we turn. We're going in a whole nother direction. We're not in this direction feeling bad, like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. It was really stupid. Or, or man, I did it again. Now I'm going to let everybody down. Repentance means I'm turning my back on it. I'm going in a whole and total, totally different direction. It's turning from our old selves. It's a transformation in what is most important. It's like being born again and starting over. Do you see why Jesus described it that way to Nicodemus? The danger in saying that God loves you just the way you are, uh, it isn't true. They are condemned. If you have not turned in repentance, you are condemned and they are perishing. This statement, God loves you just the way you are, doesn't let people know that they need to repent, that they need to change. Now, I'm not sure. If, if somebody brings you into the church, if they lead you into the church saying God loves you just the way you are, and they, and they preach a message of repentance, well, okay. But, but if you leave it there, eventually you've got to tell them you've got to repent, you've got to turn. 
Because if they think they're just fine, and it's just a matter of them not condemning themselves anymore, right? I need to stop feeling bad about myself. Yeah, don't you know that God just loves you just the way you are? This is Lady Gaga theology. That it comes from within you. I don't know if you ever heard somebody say this. You're, you're young, maybe you haven't heard this, but you know, when you get older, you hear think, people say things like, you know, you say, listen, God forgives you for the sins that you've committed. And they say, I know God forgives me. I just need to forgive myself. But do you know who's God in that? You're, you're saying that, you, you, that, that, that it's harder for you to forgive yourself for your sins than it is for God? This is pride and arrogance. But what about the one who's put his faith in Jesus? The one who has believed the message in the messenger. Does God love him just the way he is? Well, again... I would say yes and no. Right? This is different than the unbeliever, right? The unbeliever, we want to we take them, this is the way you are, right? And you need to repent, right? So if they've never been born again, okay, this, this isn't a power they can do. But this is what we pray for. And, and Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, that's impossible, right? And just like in your first birth, your second birth comes from above. But... But when someone is moved by the Spirit, they've been born again, they repent, right? So what about the one who comes to your church who is a believer, who has put their faith in Christ? And this believer is not condemned, regardless of how he feels. Kurt Weaver used to say to me all the time, and I always appreciate it if I said, well, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job, I don't, I don't feel about this. And Kurt used to say, I don't care how you feel. <laughs> you know, I'm observing this so I can tell you. So, the believer is not condemned regardless of how he feels. That's in Romans 8. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But does God tell us to just be comfortable as we are? No, we are called to sanctification. And sanctification is this process of being made more like Jesus over the course of our lives as we read our scriptures and make changes in alignment with the truth. Do you remember what it says in John 3.21? But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So if you're a follower of Christ and you know it's true and you shouldn't cheat on a test and then you, and then you cheat, on the, cheat on the test, right? You, you know what's true. You know you shouldn't cheat on the test and you know what's true. But, but let's say you're a believer and you cheat on the test. Even though you know it's true that you shouldn't. There is no condemnation. Meaning you won't perish because Christ has died for that sin. But, but what does Paul, so, so, you know, obviously our response would be, well, then I'm just going to keep sinning. It's covered. Christ's got it. And what does Paul tell us in Romans 6? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We should be seeking to change because change is possible when you are a follower of Jesus. Listen to this incredibly encouraging passage from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. These are the best words. And such were some of you. That's what they were, not what they are. 
If you have put your faith in Christ, it's true that God loves you just as you are, but he's not, to con- he's not content to leave you there. He's not content to leave you where you are. That's the point of verse 21 from tonight. Those changes which are in the light for all to see are a testament to the power and the glory of change through faith in Jesus Christ. We should look for change because that is what God has promised. So what does this mean for 21st century teenagers at Crossway Church? Because number one, maybe you're saying, I've tried to change, but it hasn't worked. Well, join the club of the many, many Christians who have come before you and probably many who are currently in this room. But listen to to what Paul says in Romans 7. And this is Paul talking about himself. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul wants to do what is right by God's standard of perfection. Yet he finds himself doing the very thing he doesn't want to do over and over again. But the evidence that he is a follower of Christ is that he doesn't want to do it. Maybe that's where you're at. God would have you know that he is the one who brings about change. Your willpower and your strength will not be enough. So you just go to him in prayer over and over again. And he tells us his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. Number two, should we tell people that God loves them? I said yes and no. It kind of depends on the circumstances, and it depends on who you're talking to. But but to to a non-believer, I think this is what would be better. You tell them you have dignity and worth because you're created in the image of God. Before the foundation of the world, God ordained that there would be a creature that was a reflection of him, the imago Dei, the image of God. Every human being is an image bearer, and that is you. There is inherent value because of this. Even so, God calls you to repentance because you're not perfect. You are a sinner. And and Jesus died for your sins. He wasn't a sinner. He was perfect. And as it says in John 3.16, if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. So believe in him. As a, to a believer, this is what someone told me one time that I think is incredibly valuable. We tend to think that God loves us more when we do good stuff and God loves us less when we do bad stuff. And the truth, though, is that God's love is consistent, permanent, and perfect. He cannot love us any more than he already does because we are in Christ and Christ was perfect. He will never love us less also because we are in Christ. It doesn't mean we won't be disciplined. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for the sins that we still battle. What it means, though, is that God's love does not waver. We can say that God loves us just the way we are because we are in Christ, but he longs to see us grow, and he will take us there. And until then, his grace is sufficient for us. The third thing... And this is a question for you. Are you perishing or do you have in, in, uh, eternal life? 
Now, there's an interesting thing about the word perish. Um, I have this literal Bible app that I'd encourage you to get. It's free. Uh, you can look up all the words in, in every passage in Greek or uh, Hebrew or Aramaic. And, it, and it'll tell you the, the translation. And, and the word perish, it, it has a couple things which I said before, to utterly destroy, etc. But it, it also has a connotation of losing. It means to lose. Right? So we can say with consistency that putting your faith in Christ, believing in Him, results in winning. Not believing in Him means perishing, losing. So if you've never done it before, tonight we call you to repentance, to put your faith in Him, believe in Him. God sent His only Son so that if you believe in Him, you will not perish but have eternal life. Because he so loved the world. If you've never done that, then make tonight the night. You put your faith in him and have eternal life. If you don't believe in him, you lose. 